Hello and welcome to Not Another Business Podcast, where we break down business news and cultural events according to rules we've entirely made up. I'm KJ Miller, ex-corporate consultant and current CEO and co-founder of Minted Cosmetics. And I'm Daniela Dektar McCarthy, ex-corporate lawyer and current general counsel at Ness. And fun fact, KJ and I have been friends since our Harvard acapella days because we are that cool, folks. Mm-hmm. Disclaimer before we start the show, the views we express today are our own and not those of our companies. Today on the show, we are talking about Instacart. And I will try my darndest to not stay Instagram, but it's probably <laughs> going to happen. But Instacart is the newsworthy company. The grocery delivery company filed to go public last week and stated that it expects its stock to start trading on the NASDAQ this month. So we got to talk about it. We do need to talk about it because I feel like all the headlines I'm seeing are basically saying like, Instacart is going to revive the tech IPO market. Also, I'm seeing a lot about how it's the first VC-backed um, IPO in several years. I, like, I don't know when the last what the last one was, um, but people are really hyping this up as like the return of tech. So I do think there's a lot to talk about here. Yes, and we will do that right after our shameless plug. KJ, what are you plugging? As always, I am plugging Minted Cosmetics. Minted is short for pigmented, and we create everyday beauty for every hue. I encourage everyone out there who's looking for a new foundation or lipstick or brow product to check out mintedcosmetics.com because not only are you going to find something that is perfect for you and your melanin, it's also going to be 20% off when you use the code NABP. So head over and check it out. And with that, let's get back to the show. Okay, it is time for Flashback Friday. In this segment, we like to look back at a prior episode and give you a brief update. So Danny, what are we flashing back to today? Well, listeners may recall our episode from last season on Chinese fast fashion retailer Shein. I don't know about you, but I had friends who contacted me after saying they they were in like an ethical quandary. They didn't know what to do. (laughs) Should they keep buying clothes or not? Well, during that episode, we broke down the business. The reason my friends contacted us is because... It's appealing, right? So many units, such low prices. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of controversies around the company, including their alleged human rights abuses and their harmful impact on the environment and efforts to use kind of unwitting influencers to smooth over those controversies. Well, there is a big update here. So just last week, Sheen announced that it will be partnering with Spark Group, which is the parent company of real estate company Simon Group, which runs Simon Malls. I don't know if you have those in your hood, but we definitely have those in the New York area. And Authentic Brands Group, which includes a portfolio of brands that folks know quite well. Brooks Brothers, Nine West, Reebok, Sports Illustrated, Vince Camuto. I mean... Tons of brands, and most Mm -hmm. importantly here, Forever 21. As part of the deal, Spark Group will become a minority holder in Shein, and Shein will get a one-third stake in Spark. And Shein will start selling its merchandise out of brick-and-mortar Forever 21 locations. This is what Donald Tang, Shein's executive chairman, said about the deal. The powerful combination of Simon's leadership in physical retail, Authentic's brand development expertise, and Shein's on-demand model will help us drive scalable growth and together make fashion more accessible to all. KJ, I can see your face. (laughs) You're confused. What are your thoughts on this deal? 
Are we this... now? We're like, how does this work? How do you get a minority yeah. stake in one company and the other one gets right. a one third stake in your company? I'm confused. Okay, I am confusion. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. There are a couple things here I don't understand. The first thing being, yeah, the fact that Spark is becoming a minority holder in Shein, and Shein at the same time is getting a one third stake in Spark is confusing to me. I've never heard a deal mm-hmm. laid out that way. But but beyond that, I'm also confused about why this is the route Sheehan wanted to go. As far as I know, there is lots of available space in malls in America, okay? It, mm-hmm. Like like lots of available space. It would take nothing for multi-billion dollar company Shein to just run up in a few of these malls and open up a few of their own locations. So mm-hmm. I don't know why, if the goal here was to get into physical retail, and I assume it was, why they went this convoluted route through Spark Group and then to sell their clothes inside of Forever 21, who's very much a competitor. Like, there must be a good reason for this. I feel like maybe I'm just not thinking about this critically enough because on the surface, this is just confusing to me. I just feel like they could very easily get into these same malls and rent some space and sell some Shein clothes. <laughs> like, I just, I don't yes. know. What What do you think? Well, this makes me think that the real draw for Shein was the stake in Spark. Mm-hmm. And perhaps some of the additional relationships that will come through um, now having closer access to all of the entire portfolio of Authentic Brands Group. Perhaps it will be introducing some of its manufacturing to those brands and that might be a, a a way to expand its business um, in a way that it didn't have access to on its own. I'm definitely perplexed by the move to brick and mortar. I mean, we talked about kind of the consensus around Shein's like super strength. And right. part of it was being online only, putting up a bunch of SKUs, but not necessarily producing those SKUs, right? Right, um, right. In like a way now that you, you have can to kind make of it. only do right and right exactly. So I'm I am equally confused by the move to brick and mortar, um, which makes me think that the more appealing piece for them were these other parts of the deal. Yeah, I I agree that I feel like there must just be they must really just have something that they are counting on with getting the third stake in Spark like that. It just must be more valuable than I would have assumed. Um, And in terms of them going into brick and mortar, I feel like they must just be assuming that they are missing out on a significant portion of market share because they are not in brick and mortar. Even though I think everyone else would look at them and say, like, you have so much market share. Like, what what else could you possibly want? They must feel like we're we're missing out because we're not in brick and mortar in which case this feels like a, an odd way to go about it to me because not only are you now in forever 21 which is a competitor but like my understanding of how forever 21 has been performing is not good like i feel like <laughs> mo- most of the articles i have read about forever 21 have been that they are struggling because of the Sheins and pretty little things of the yeah. world right like so it just it's still baffling to me. I don't know. I feel like someone's going to write a business case study about it and maybe they'll prove us both wrong and be like, this was the smartest thing that she could have ever done. But from outside looking in, this is confusing. Well, this is what I would like because I don't have great answers for you. I would like to make a request of all of our listeners 
explain to us what we're not getting. Yeah. Tell, we'll yes. post this on TikTok. You know, yes. leave a comment that will make it all clear to us. And then we will cover the explanation in TikTok o'clock because yes. we don't get it. But that's we the update for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the update. And now you educate us, please. And thank you. All right, Danny. Today we are talking about Instacart and its recent S1 filing to go public. So hit us with the facts. Okay. Well, you know, most of you probably have some kind of familiarity with Instacart, but I will bring you first to the vision of the company. This is according to the company itself. Instacart Mm -hmm. says that its vision is to build the technology that powers every single grocery transaction. Now, you know I love a history lesson. So we're going to go through a brief one. (laughs) I do know that. And before you jump in, let me just say, if you had asked me what their mission was, it would not be this, to build the technology that powers every single grocery transaction. Like that is just such a quintessentially tech vision because I feel like the people who use Instacart would be like, to run me my groceries, right? <laughs> like, just yeah, give yeah, me, yeah. Give, run me my groceries. Like that, some something like that is the vision. And they're like, oh no, 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 it's much loftier than that. So, well, it's you know. interesting that you say that. And I can already tell we're just gonna be mixing facts and speculation <laughs> this entire episode. And I'm here for it, so it's fine. But it's interesting that you say that because there are other parts of the Instacart like website that seem to me to have what were earlier iterations of the vision, mm-hmm. right? Because on the site elsewhere, like on the About Us, there's a line that's bringing groceries online. Okay. And that makes sense. You know, and that's <laughs> what you probably, yeah, like that yes. makes sense to you. That makes sense to me. But that is not what they're leading with in the S1. That is not what their current stated vision is. Their current stated vision is much broader. And I will mm-hmm. say now having dug a little bit deeper into pieces of, you know, this company, I can see it a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's mm-hmm. just a lofty goal. So here we go. We are going to go through an 11-year history, much much shorter than those who are scarred from our Bed, Bath, and Beyond episode, okay? <laughs> it starts in 2012 <laughs> with the company being founded, like many other startups, in San Francisco by a trio of folks, Apurva Mehta, Max Mullen, and Brandon Leonardo. The initial company, the vision was all about helping local grocers get into the delivery game. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what it was. In 2013, they launched their Express Program membership, known as Instacart Plus, which is a subscription-based program offering consumers free reduced grocery delivery for a monthly fee. In 2014, Instacart scaled to 10 other metropolitan areas, including New York and LA. In 2017, they went nationwide, moving throughout the US and into Canada, and launched which I did not realize is a huge portion of their business, Instacart ads, which allows grocers to deliver ads to consumers who are in their app actively shopping. They Mm -hmm. call this, you know, their high intent shoppers or customers. Mm -hmm. In 2018, they launched their first enterprise offering for retailers, including grocers. We'll get into what that means. And then in 2020, they launched two other verticals. So not they moved from grocery to beauty, electronics, pets. Um, they saw their first quarter of operating profit in the fourth quarter of 2020. 
Mm-hmm. In 2021, they made a number of tech acquisitions that we'll get into, um, essentially to boast, bolster their platform and their offerings, particular to the uh, physical experience of shopping in-store. And they brought on their current CEO, Fiji Simo, who had previously come from Facebook. And that's the history lesson. That was so fast. Amazing. So fast. <laughs> um, a few call outs just on uh, some of these milestones. The first call out I will make is that I think that they're, um, you know, when they introduced Instacart ads, which you said was in 2017, um, I didn't realize that was a huge portion of their revenue, but it makes sense to me. And I think the way that they do it, I, I'm, you know, loyal Instacart user, I've been using it now for, call it four or five years. The way that they do it is really smart because like they say, you are such a high intent shopper. When you're in the midst of shopping, obviously you plan to buy. So that is the great, yep. mo- like a perfect moment to serve me up an ad for like, if I search granola for you to be like Nature Valley, right? Like that's, that's a great moment for you to do that. So that I think super smart. Uh, I also want to call out when they expanded verticals because I same day Instacart ordered from Sephora more than once. Shout out to Sephora, mm. um, <laughs> including including some Tom Ford cologne for my husband on his birthday. I had already like planned out a big gift, but it was like a trip. And I was like, I feel like I need a physical thing to give him too. Mm. So I went to Instacart and got um, Tom Ford cologne, which he loves. Um, so I wanted to shout what, that out because I thought that how was smart. Long, how long was the delivery? What option like, did you choose? Uh, it took like two hours. I don't, even th- I don't even think I chose Express. But yeah, two hours later, the cologne was okay. on the doorstep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, I think you told me that this CEO, Fiji, is a woman. Is that true? She is a female. That is true. So I, I also would just like to shout out them not only bringing on a woman CEO, but this woman CEO being the person to take the company public. I think that's awesome. So those are the shout outs I wanted to make to that timeline. Yeah. So Fiji um, joined the company in 2021, as I mentioned. It was right around October, November. She had actually previously been brought on by the company as a board member, like six months before that. She says she had no intention of becoming the CEO, and that was like not, you know, where the company was necessarily heading once they brought her on, but that, you know, the opportunity kind of came to have her as CEO six months and she was really excited about where the company was going and took on the role and it seems to be working well so far. So um, I agree. Shout out for that particular reason as well. Okay, let me describe the three kind of components of Instacart's technology, which they are definitely presenting as the core of its value. Everyone still wants to be a tech company these days. Yes. Okay, so three pieces. The Instacart Marketplace. This is the consumer-facing app and website that folks are probably most familiar with. This is what mm-hmm. connects consumers to retailers and enables them to shop online. Instagram, Instacart, see, I just did it. Instacart <laughs> touts their ability to create kind of a more personalized shopping experience, serving as a tool for product discovery, and enabling different payment methods as the key features of their marketplace. Um yes. Which makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, they are partnering, and one of the things that Fiji says is really important to the strategy of the company is that they are partnering with stores that are not tech companies, that are, you know, old, established um, companies, but don't have the bandwidth, they are not Amazon, to develop mm-hmm. different you know, a platform that allows for different payment methods, right? Yeah. That is the, like, key to Instacart is bringing... 
um, you know, older businesses and shops that are like integral right. to individuals' daily lives into the modern age. So that's yeah. the marketplace. And I would just say on that point, like when you talk about defensibility and why I think this company not only is profitable, but 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 probably will be a strong IPO, it is a really hard thing to do to get multiple grocery stores across multiple zip codes and states that are not, you know, generally all that tech enabled to get them to a place where not only are they tech enabled, but like where you have real time visibility into their inventory. Let me just tell you, mm-hmm. as someone who has managed a lot of businesses and managed a lot of inventory, that is difficult. And the fact mm-hmm. that they now have this, you know, 10, 12 year head start or whatever it is, like that's that that is extremely defensible. I mean, let me just say. Yeah, so I'll, I was going to go to Instacart ads, but I will go to Instacart Enterprise Platform, um, which is the sec- one of the other components of their technology because I think it touches on this. So the whole point of Instacart Enterprise Platform is to provide retailers with a suite of enterprise-grade technology that span e-commerce, fulfillment, what they call connected stores, ads and marketing, and insights, right? So they're kind of um, modular tools that retailers that don't have the bandwidth to build their own can select. They can use Instacart Enterprise Platform, for example, just to build their own website and apps, which mm-hmm. is interesting because you wouldn't necessarily think, or I would think as a consumer that it, that Instagram wa- Instacart wants me to shop in their app, right? Mm-hmm. Not shop in Kroger's app, which I Mm -hmm. think is true, but I think Instacart is basically mitigating the risk a bit that you might go directly to a particular retailer Mm -hmm. and saying, well, let me at least get a piece of that, (laughs) right? Right, Let me help that retailer build the website or app. Um, Connected stores is super interesting and is not a part of their technology that I was aware of until, you know, doing the research for this show. They are a set of in-store technologies that was launched in September 2022, following those acquisitions that I had mentioned, including one of a company called Caper AI. Mm -hmm. Um, This is from a TechCrunch article by Aisha Malik that was published around the time when Connected Stores was launched. Um, But there are a few technologies I want to describe to you. The first is called CaperCart. Okay. Caper cart, this is a physical cart, like a a real one that you can touch, that is equipped with scales, sensors, touchscreens, and computer vision technology. Shoppers Mm. can use Instacart's new lists feature in their app to sync Mm -hmm. their shopping list directly to a caper cart by scanning a QR code. With the caper cart, shoppers don't have to manually scan items. They simply drop items into the cart, after which because the cart is sensing the item you've dropped in, will automatically be checked off of your list in the app. Mm. Wow. Okay. There's, that sounds futuristic. Yeah, it's it's kind of cute. Uh, so there's a one, there's a very short 50 second video that was, um, that Instacart put out and it was linked in this article that you can go look. It is very futuristic, but yeah, basically, you know, you don't have to manually check it off your own list. The cart knows that you've just put in your can of tomato paste. And so it senses it and it's checked off. But my question is, who has these carts? Like, does So Instacart sells them to stores. Oh, yeah. See, this is all part of their enterprise offering. So mm. they are selling the like the that metal cart that you once knew. Mm-hmm. Sometimes its wheels are terrible. I mean, the wheel yes. on this cart might be terrible too. But that metal cart <laughs> that you once knew, no more. 
No more. Instacart okay. is selling these caper carts to stores, to chain stores so, who are saying, we want these smart stores instead. So I just carts. like, mm-hmm. I could roll up to my Kroger, get mm-hmm. one of these carts, and then not even, like I, it's not an Instacart thing. It's a, in my eyes, it's a Kroger thing. It's like I'm walking into Kroger with my list and I'm putting things in the cart and it's checking out as I go. And then I'm taking them into my, like in my mind, it's just part of my Kroger experience. It's not part of an Instacart experience. So, so here's the deal. I think for the cart to be anything other than just a physical cart, you need like the Instacart app. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, it's just a physical cart. So is the idea that I, consumer, am using this Instacart cart or that my Instacart shopper is using the Instacart cart? Um, I think it's either. either. But I think they want you to still have an Instacart app or a relationship. I mean, in theory, actually, so this is not clear in the articles that I read. I, I do think it is possible that um, Instacart could enable if you're like just a loyal Kroger shopper to use this feature in your Kroger app. So maybe you don't mm-hmm. need to have an Instacart app, but you mm-hmm. need to have the consumer. This this is a two way thing. The store right. needs to have the carts, and then mm-hmm. the consumer needs to have an app with this mm-hmm. list feature. Okay, got it. All right, okay. very cool. Similarly, it functions in a similar way. There's a scan and pay feature that enables you to scan items as you shop and pay for them using your mobile phone. Now, you may or may not have the cart. You may just have a normal, either a normal cart or you've got, you know, a basket. They haven't talked about smart baskets yet, but you could scan the item and pay. Or if you have the cart, presumably you can pay along the along the go as well. Okay, and then the last kind of... Um, feature I'll talk about is these carrot tags. Okay, this helps shoppers find what they're looking for in a store. So let's Mm -hmm. say you are like in your app, you've got something on your list, you know Mm -hmm. it is in this store. There is like instead of just that display that you see in the physical store that like has the name of the item and the price, there is a um, light that is like around that tag and it lights up when you get close to it. To help you mm-hmm. find the item you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you basically are selecting an item and the corresponding shelf label will flash. Now, I do not understand how this works if you've got multiple people in the store using the feature. Flashing lights everywhere. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. It's um, also, even if you're not the only person, it's at least on the video that I watched, just a pretty subtle flash, you know? Hmm. And like, if you're in the wrong aisle, you're still screwed. Like, it's not going to help you, you know? But but it is an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. It reminds me a little bit of when Uber was trying to push that thing where like you could light up your phone a color to let your driver know, like more easily locate Mm, you. mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember that taking off, but I remember them being (laughs) very excited about it when they launched it. This reminds me a little bit of that. Uh, But the other two things I think do sound, um, the scan and pay and the caper cart, do sound like they'd be particularly useful. I will say they sound like they'd be very useful to an Instacart shopper, like to someone Mm -hmm. who is shopping for multiple people in store that they're then going to go deliver groceries to. Mm. Because for me, like, sure, I'd love to be able to just like throw stuff in my cart and get out of the store. But, you know, I'm shopping just for myself. Typically, I'm not buying more than like 
10 to 15 items at a time. I'm not like so pressed for time that like I need this bypass. But if I'm an Instacart shopper and I am shopping for five different households at a time, like, yeah, like I would like to be able to save as much time as possible. So both of these to me sound like great, you know, great technologies for an Instacart shopper, more so even than an end consumer. Yeah, I I think that probably makes sense. It, it's even better for them. I will say, though, being someone, I don't know if it's just a me problem, but I have gone to the store and left forgetting an item that was on my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it's because I was just bad at checking the other items off or whatever, but to the extent that this would help make it clearer that like there's still that one thing left and it's not in your cart, mm-hmm. that'd be valuable to me. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Okay, the third part of their technology, Instacart ads. So this, as we just discussed, not something you necessarily realize is a big part of their business, but it is not something to overlook. Advertising accounts for more than a quarter of their annual revenue. Instacart ads allow CPG brands to drive sales by engaging with customers who are actively shopping for products on Instacart. Again, um, Instacart refers to these folks as high intent customers. And they're doing this in a way that's highly measurable and targeted, right? So it's like giving insights to the CPG brands that are um, that are purchasing this product of Instagram ads. Yeah. Uh, oh, nope. Instacart ads. See, it's going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Pepsi is actually participating in a private placement before this IPO. They are investing mm-hmm. up to $170 million in preferred convertible stock. And um, reporters from the Wall Street Journal have said that they kind of attribute um, this how strong Instagram, Instacart ads are to Pepsi's interest in this company. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I will say the closest corollary for me is Amazon and Amazon's ads. And I will say that, you know, we are very focused on Amazon ads because same sort of deal, you get that high intent shopper. And so we see much higher ROAS, which is return mm-hmm. on ad spend, much higher ROAS with our Amazon ads than we do, for instance, paid search via Google. Because like if someone, sh- you know, searches for, you know, brown lipstick on Google, maybe she's looking to shop and purchase that day. Maybe she's just sort of trying to check it out and like, you know, see what she sees. But the chances of someone in Amazon who's who's searching for brown lipstick actually being about to purchase brown lipstick, I mean, they're so high. So when we convert, you know, when we pay for that ad, like the chances of it converting are that much higher, which means my return on ad spend is that much higher. So I, I, I get why by the same token in Instacart, someone searching for broccoli probably is going to purchase broccoli. So that's your chance if you are branded broccoli mm-hmm. to be like, buy mine, you know? Um, yep. and, and, and so it, it makes total sense to me that it's more than a quarter of their revenue. Yep. Yep. Okay. So those are the three components of their technology. Um, I was going to read this long kind of segment of a letter that um, opened the S1 filing, but I I think better I'll just summarize it. One of Mm -hmm. the key things, like the key propositions that Fiji Simo and Instacart is saying is like part of the the, um, vision for this company and why it's worth investing in. Ultimately, they're saying that groceries in particular, even though we know that they're broader than that, that grocery is the largest segment of commerce, but the least penetrated by technology. Hmm. 
and that they envision or they believe that shopping, yes, of course, will increasingly be online, but that physical shopping is not going anywhere. Like they are not of the mindset that everyone's going to be doing this online forever. They right. know that, you know, whatever boon they had during COVID for online grocery shopping is probably not going to return, that the future is both in-store and online. And so they see kind of these three pillars that both focus on online delivery, but also help modernize the physical shopping experience as like critical to the future value of the company. Yeah. And I think what's so smart about this is I've heard of I've heard tale of grocery startups and tech enabled grocery startups really trying to build a brand around like a singular store like they launch a tech enabled grocery store and it's their store. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth of the matter is like a lot of people are loyal to the grocery stores they've got. They love them for this reason or the, or that reason. You know, they mm-hmm. love being a Kroger Plus member or they love the produce section at Whole Foods or whatever. And so what I think is so smart is that they have worked so hard to onboard so many different grocery stores, which means I as a consumer don't have to choose. I don't have to be like, oh, in order for me to get access to your tech, I have to shop at Wegmans. Nope. Like I can shop at Wegmans or Kroger or Giant or, you know, whatever. Um, I, I think that's so smart. And again, just like highly defensible. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect segue to the numbers. So Instacart has reported five straight quarters of profitability. For the 12-month period ending June 30th of this year, these are the stats. $29.4 billion in gross transaction volume, 263 million orders, $2.2 billion in profit, 486 million adjusted EBITDA. And then this is where we get into what you're saying. They have over 1,400 retail partners. Mm -hmm. Um, They account for 85% of the U.S. grocery market. That's based on... um, where is this little, they make the footnote so small, a percentage of the market collectively represented by retail banners with whom Instacart Mm -hmm. partners. Mm -hmm. Um, They have, they are associated with 80,000 plus stores, physical stores. Wow. Which is pretty big. That's huge. I didn't realize they had penetrated 85% of the U.S. grocery market. I knew it was big. Like I I assumed it was over half. 85% is huge. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so those are the numbers. I will say there are some questions as to can Instacart maintain its dominance? Mm-hmm. Um, as we discussed, ad revenue is really critical to the company's overall profitability, but the health of their ad business is largely tied to their gross transaction volume, and that has actually been declining. Not, And some of it is because there's, you know, we're coming off a high from COVID, but a big portion of it is because competition is heating up. So mm. Walmart accounted for 62% of U.S. online grocery sales for delivery or pickup during the month of July compared with 54% in the same month last year. And Instagram share fell by 5% in that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that is interesting to me. Because mm-hmm. I do know households that are extremely Walmart loyal. And mm-hmm. I do feel like I've been reading. I, I don't personally currently shop at Walmart. But I have been reading more and more articles about how Walmart's online game is has just like 
really improved over the last, call it, four or five years. So that's interesting. I could see Instacart really shaking in their boots over what Walmart's doing. Yeah. And actually, I should clarify, it's 62% of U.S. online grocery sales for delivery or pickup. I think the pickup contributes a fair amount of that, which like Instagram is not as in the pickup game. Instacart. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Instacart. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Um, Kroger, which uses Instacart for rapid delivery options, also offers its own delivery service. That accounted for 10% of the U.S. um, online grocery market in July of this past Mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. And Uber and DoorDash, they're honestly still like a very, very small portion of this game. Um, they have less than 1% of the market, but they are focusing on it. Um, DoorDash has repeatedly reported for the past two years, like 100% growth year over year in their third-party grocery business. Of course, that's off a very small base, but like, you know, they're trying to get in there. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just say this, and this is speculation, but let me just say this about Kroger in particular, um, sort of on the come up, and and I guess Walmart too in this space. Here's where I feel like Instacart has some real work to do, okay? When you get, and I'm just going to say it, and I I don't care if it offends some people, when you get a, a male Instacart shopper, the chances of your order coming back to you wrong or missing several (laughs) items is so high it is so high it's absurdly high and i'll tell you what that tells me one says a lot about gender norms in our society but two (laughs) it's it says a lot about how much training of these folks is or Mm. isn't happening because i can get an amazing instacart shopper and get every single thing on my list constant communication oh you wanted these organic grapes they only have the non-organic grapes blah 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 blah. 99 times out of 100 that is a woman who is shopping for me or I can get someone who has no idea what they're doing and just bypasses half the stuff and doesn't communicate and just shows up with yeah. three of the you know 12 items, okay? Now, my assumption would be, and I could be wrong, but my assumption would be if you're a Kroger, you have Kroger employees doing the shopping and Kroger employees would be intimately familiar with their Kroger inventory. So on Instacart side, even though they might have all the great tech that actually is accurate about what is in stock and what isn't and so on and so forth, if they aren't training each and one every one of their members to really be familiar with each and every one of these stores, you're going to end up with situations that I've ended up with multiple times where someone's just like, oh, they didn't have onions. Really so in the whole store (laughs) in the whole store not one onion get out of here so I will say that is something that I could see being a real competitive advantage for the Kroger's of the world well it also sounds like this might be where Instacart could um you know mitigate against some of its weaknesses with this investment in AI and technology and physical technology right Mm -hmm. like if you have, if it's no longer basically up to the individual to determine whether an item is or isn't in store and has or hasn't been correctly placed in the cart, right? And if it's no longer up to the individual to suggest a replacement and instead your like AI is suggesting the replacement, because I Mm. agree, sometimes I'll get like recommendations for replacement. I'm like, that is not even close to what I wanted. Like, that is not, (laughs) why would I want, like, beet juice instead of milk? Let's just, these are not the same things. Or or very recently, I wanted lemon juice and someone gave me lemonade. And it's like, if you can't understand... (laughs) 
you can't understand how different these two products are. Like, what are we doing anyway? Yes, agreed. So yeah, if 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 AI instead was making the 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 call on like you wanted organic lemon juice instead they only have you know lemon juice from concentrate but at least we're in the same right. family here you know I, yeah I, I could see that being more competitive yes but they've got to get to it quickly right because it right. does seem right. like some of the competition is heating up that is is rapid right so yeah right okay right. Okay, so good stuff. I will say the last piece worth mentioning before we formally move into speculation, I think, are the specifics of the IPO. So we mentioned this private placement that Pepsi is participating in ahead of the IPO. Um, Also notable, they announced in the S1 filing that there are a few investors, um, including entities affiliated with VC firm Sequoia, which you know, Sequoia always wins, um, mm-hmm. and D1 Capital Partners, that they have agreed to participate in the IPO as quote-unquote cornerstone investors. Um, mm-hmm. They've each indicated an interest to purchase um, shares of common stock in the aggregate of $400 million at the offering price. So mm-hmm. okay, not, not a small amount. Um, and then valuation, which is interesting because we keep seeing it in the headlines that, you know, Instacart has slashed their valuation over time, which makes it a more, um, well, I think they're just being more reasonable, right? Because the offering Mm -hmm. price for the IPO is reflective of their current valuation, which is much lower than where it used to be. Since 2012, um, they have raised $2.9 billion in funding. In March 2021, that was their most recent raise. They raised $265 million at a valuation of $39 billion in March 2022, so just a year later, they reduced their internal valuation to $24 billion. And as of this year, the company is being valued at around $12 billion. Um, so, you know, still more than what they've raised in capital. So still a return for investors, but definitely, you know, um, there's like a more realistic view now that, you know, you can remember 2021 was COVID era, right? So they were seeing right. massive, massive growth. Um, so it's a more realistic valuation, which um, I think the market is responding to well. Got okay. It. So shall we get into speculation? We shall. Let's do it. Do you agree with Instacart's vision of the future? <laughs> um. Yes, insofar as the idea that grocery is going to continue to be more tech enabled. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. I think the world is going to continue to be more tech enabled. And so it follows that grocery will too. Um, Now, how tech enabled, like where we end up on that spectrum, I think is probably up for debate. I think grocery continues to be one of those things that like, is so, so reliant on the touch and the feel and not just like Mm -hmm. the feel of the product, but like the feel in your heart, right? Like I genuinely do feel like people care about their groceries, particularly people like my husband who love to cook and therefore Mm -hmm. love ingredients and therefore become very specific about like which places have the best ingredients and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, the places that he relies on. And, and so then it's like, how much technology does he want inserted into that? I don't, I don't know, but I, I think because it is so focused on touch and feel and look and all of that and smell and sight and, you know, the five senses, um, because we're talking about food, I don't know that we're going to be like fully handing over this process to, to AI and robots, but yes, 
broadly, I do believe it will become more tech enabled. What What do you think? See, that's interesting because I like viscerally responded to a very different or responded to the the vision in a different way. Though I agree with your conclusion that I agree with their vision of the future. But the piece that I think that is really smart of them is not to go like the way that Gatier or GoPuff or one of these other grocery delivery companies that like don't exist anymore <laughs> um, mm-hmm. have gone, which is to say that physical shopping, in-store shopping is not going anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Shopping will happen both online and so we have you know, our shoppers for that. But it also will always continue to be in person because of people like Kadar who want to go and shop. And so I think that the focusing on modernizing the in-store experience in addition to the online is super smart. Yeah, I like, I really, I really, I just feel like it's a very like reasonable vision. You know, I don't, again, I don't know how crazy the carts are going to get, but I like that they're, tackling both pieces of the grocery experience and not just the online yeah I, I completely agree with that I agree okay the other thing that I've seen a bunch of articles talking about is the shift of like how important growth versus profitability is and I feel like we've been talking about this for a long time I mean yes. we're, you know we're not the only ones but it is interesting to now see this shift kind of to the public markets and not just to you know private capital raises and you know earlier stage companies yeah this makes sense to me and i and i i'm actually i'm pretty bullish on this ipo because because of how profitable they've been of course i think they're timing this ipo now because some of the competition might cut, chip into that profitability um but i think it makes a lot of sense that they're doing it now and i i'm bullish on the ipo because of it yeah, I, I I agree. And look, I think these guys have learned from the D2C startups, and we did a whole episode on this. They've learned from the D2C startups that went that IPO'd before hitting profitability, how difficult of a time they've had trying to find mm-hmm. profitability and how much of a smackdown they've taken in the markets because of it. I think these guys learned that lesson and 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 acted right and said okay we're going to focus on becoming profitable then we're going to stay profitable and then we're going to ipo i think that you know that was extremely smart of them and i think what we're seeing with the like the allbirds and 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 warbies and stitch fixes of the world who still haven't found profitability is that like that's the hardest part so they've <laughs> clear they've cleared that hurdle right like and and particularly given that this is a gig economy business we still are seeing other gig economy businesses who haven't hit profitability the fact that they've cleared that hurdle to me as an investor would give me just so much more faith in their ability to weather these other storms. Because look, competition is always going to be coming for you no matter who you are. So you can't expect that their their business is going to be so defensible that no one ever eats their any of their market share. That's, you know, you can't expect that. But once they've cleared the hurdle of profitability, that gives me a lot more faith that they are going to continue to operate efficiently, even while they're taking hits from right. from different competitors. So I agree with you. I, I would be pretty bullish on this IPO as well. Yeah. Um, I think also your point about how this relates to other gig economy businesses in particular, which have struggled, like Uber and Lyft and DoorDash it makes it a lot more exciting of a company, right? <laughs> because it's different. Instacart has figured yeah. it out in a way that these yeah. other companies have not. 
Yeah. And I, I like, I, I get why other comp- other gig economy companies haven't because you are spending so much on your contractor like labor that mm-hmm. it can be hard to sort of like hit that sweet spot, which again is why I think it comes back to that ad revenue. Like I think that ad revenue is like a is like a real silver bullet because I don't know what ads Lyft is going to serve you while you're in the car that are going to be so high intent and and mm-hmm. you know like and interesting to you. Um, same with DoorDash. I mean, DoorDash does do ads. Obviously, anytime you search for Mexican food or Chinese food, you're going to get some spot some sponsored posts. So my guess is like it is more important to them than for the Ubers and Lyfts of the world. But yeah, I I think. It is just it's it's impressive that they've cleared that hurdle and that they've figured out, like, what are the different levers that we can pull to to get to profitability? Yeah. And, you know, of course, like how attractive its ad business is does depend on how many people are shopping in Instacart. Um, But even with like Walmart taking over market share or Kroger taking over market share, like it's still the main player. And it'll still always have a draw. I mean, maybe not always, but I think it'll it'll mm-hmm. still have a draw. Like I don't think, you know, that business is going to dwindle um, right. in the face of competition. So I yeah. agree with you. It it is really it is really critical. Um, do you think that uh, this is going to open up the IPO exit for tech companies? I love how this became like an interrogation. This is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do I think it's going to open up, open, open back up the IPO market? Um, I don't, I honestly don't know because I don't know that I've been paying enough attention to the other tech companies Mm -hmm. as it relates to their relationship with profitability. And I think that is going to be the key determination of whether or not the markets think a company is ready to go public. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know that I've been paying enough attention. I feel like, again, I'm in the consumer world. So the Mm -hmm. companies that I've heard whispering about going public now for the past forever, like Bombas has been whispering about it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Harry's has been whispering about it. You know, like those, those are the companies I feel like I've been hearing about. And I think like they are, if they haven't already gotten to profitability, like that's their, their focus. Um, But in the tech world, yeah, I don't I don't even have one right now that comes to mind that I'm like, ooh, is this going to open up the IPO market for like fill in the blank? Do you like are there any guys you're like really watching well, right now? Not necessarily in the consumer space. I think a lot of folks are talking about Arm, which is like a which is an AI uh, company that filed to go public uh, this month as well. Like they filed a couple of weeks ago um, mm-hmm. or maybe actually just about a week ago. But they are also profitable. Yeah. Um. So I think your point about um, about the profitability piece being key and less so like, oh, you have tech company and a hospitable public market like might be really valid, right? It's not just yeah. anyone who's going to be able to go public. It's only the profitable companies and finding profitability is really hard. Yeah, yeah. But it'll be interesting. I mean, I am, like we said, bullish on this one. And excited to see who else is going to come out of the sidelines being like, hey, us too. Like we, we did the right thing too. We, we, we are profitable as well and we're ready for this. So I'm excited to see what comes of it. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a bit with Kava, right? In our Kava episode in their IPO. 
Um, you know, they're not definitely not trading at the high that they that they've had since IPOing, but they're steady. They're right around forty five dollars right now per share. Um, I think they their IPO price was forty four dollars per share. So you know, they're yes. not taking off, but they're also not like getting crushed. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. All right, what yeah. final verdict? What do you think? Final verdict, I think um, these guys have made some really smart plays, some really smart decisions, and I'm happy to see a woman leading them into their public offering. What's your final verdict? I agree. Um, I'm actually really excited for certain aspects of this business to really branch out, in particular the Connected Stores um, business line. You know, it, it only launched last year. It launched with um, some retailers that are not on the East Coast and are not, you know, they don't have a national presence. But I am really into the future of physical store shopping with some of these tools. I don't know. It mm-hmm. feels like very, um, yeah, just very into the future in a non-terrifying way, you know? <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, I'm I'm excited for that kind of tech-enabled um, shopping experience. So I'm overall very bullish on this IPO, and I'm excited to see what happens. Congrats to everyone at Instacart. Okay, it's time for Judge and Jury. And if you're new here, this is the segment where we dive into recent news and ask whether there was a display of good or bad judgment. KJ, what are we talking about this week? This week, we are talking about tennis because your homegirl and mine, Coco Goff. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining we're homegirls with her. Your homegirl and mine, Coco Goff, played her first uh, match of the U.S. Open this past Monday night against German qualifier Laura Sigmund at Arthur Ashe Stadium. And it was not only a very intense battle, but a very intense battle that now all of TikTok and social media and everybody else is talking about because of what went down. Now, I am not a tennis expert, nor am I a sports commentator, but I'm going to do Mm. my best to break down exactly what happened so that we can get into this judge and jury. Basically, it went like this. Laura Sigmund was playing very slow, okay? And everybody agrees (laughs) that she was playing very slow. Now, I'll tell you this. I didn't know before this controversy that you could even play slow, okay? But apparently, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's a a shot clock or a serve clock, right? So after a point is done, then you have 25 seconds. That's the, the serve clock to do your next serve. Well, apparently, after each point was called, she was taking even longer than... The serve clock, right? And that was pissing Mm -hmm. off Coco because Coco was like, now, hold on, hold on. We have these rules for a reason. You're taking too long. And and what's more, the umpire was not calling it. So she was just letting this slide. Now, this happened during the first set, which Laura Sigmund won. It also Mm -hmm. happened during the second set, which Coco won. So now by the third set, Coco is good and frustrated, okay? (laughs) So now, uh, now at some point during these sets, the umpire did give Laura Sigmund a time violation, right? Which is basically a warning. That's basically like a Hold on, watch yourself. Don't do it again, okay? But that didn't cost her any points or anything. It was just a little, a, a cute little warning. So now we get to the third set, okay? Coco's good and mad. They're one and one. So she's like, I have to win this one because I'm trying to keep going in this U.S. Open. Now it's Coco's serve, okay? 
Coco serves the ball and I think she may have lost that particular point. Then she gets ready to serve again. She serves it and Laura isn't ready. She literally lifts up her hands in a like, huh? Sort of motion. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like a, oh no, I wasn't ready. So now Coco was like, oh ma'am, <laughs> you have got the wrong one. So Coco goes over to the umpire and basically goes off okay she basically says ma'am you have done nothing you are not doing your job she is mm -hmm. never ready she has not been ready I let it slide in the first let I let it slide in the second set but now here we are she can do mm -hmm. whatever she wants to do she can prance dance and everything else during her serve but during my serve she needs to be ready and the whole audience knows that you are not doing your job and at this point the whole audience is clapping for her and cheering for her because everybody understands she is correct okay so so everyone is on her side. So then after she gives her little monologue and tells this umpire off, who, by the way, we need to investigate because truly sounds to me like she was not doing her job. Shortly <laughs> thereafter, um, homegirl tries it again. This Laura Sigmund person tries it again. And the umpire gives her a point violation. So eventually... Coco wins that set that third set wins the whole thing. OK, so that's that the judge and jury is basically do we think. It was good judgment for Coco to go up to the umpire and tell her about herself um, and also to make it very clear to Laura Sigmund that she was not here for her foolishness and shenanigans. What's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I think we all agree and the crowd agrees. It was a it was a good idea. And we just wanted to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, we just <laughs> we just wanted to chat about it. Obviously, this was good judgment. I mean, we just wanted to chat about it. And you really watch more tennis than I do. So I'm curious, like, you know, your thoughts on just like Co like Coco's potential state of mind. Do you see people play slow versus fast? Like, yes. Now I have not been watching the U S open this year just because life is busy, but, um, we did watch tennis quite a bit growing up and I would say I'm like a casual tennis fan. So I very much was aware before of this controversy that pace momentum, like these are real things and slowing the game down. If you are not, leading, which Laura Sigmund was not, like that is a strategy. It's not just like, oh, this is how I play. Like, no, she was probably actively trying to mess with Coco's momentum. Mm -hmm. And that's why there are rules with respect right. to time, you know? Right. So I think it was excellent judgment because I don't think we mentioned it, but Coco, yes, each player had a set of piece, but Coco was up three games in the third set. So she had the momentum, right? She, if she wanted to play faster, like that was important to her. Yeah. Um, and it's total BS if Laura was taking too long. I will say, although it is very obviously good judgment, I give Coco so much credit because I could see it not being clear whether it would be good judgment in the moment for her, given that there is, we know unfairly, this angry black woman trope. Like we've seen videos go viral of Serena Williams arguing with refs and they have not always been taken like well, you know. So I could see in her mind in this third set of an important game, it's the U.S. Open, she's a U.S. player, there's a lot of pressure, her not being sure if it was the right thing to do. Or maybe she was sure and she's just badass. I don't know. But my my thought is it could be, it could have been a struggle for her to make that decision. And if it was, then like 
even more so hats off to her for standing up for herself and telling the ump to call it. I mean, like, what else is the ump there for? Like, it's not to keep score. Like, we can have computers do that, you know? I, it, right. I mean, I guess we should just have computers replace the ump, period. I, I don't know. Why is she there? Why are they there? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, first of all, I completely agree with you about Coco, like, taking that reputational risk and, and actually that just real like athletic risk because we have seen it work against Serena mm-hmm. and others who stick up for themselves like so props to her I, I have to imagine that was a difficult call and probably why it took her until the third set to do it because she was showing real restraint and wasn't sure if this was you know something that she could or should call out in this moment and I'm so so happy and proud of her that she did unequivocally good judgment but now let me say something to laura sigmund okay and and she might not listen to this (laughs) podcast but on the off might not might not might not (laughs) but on the off chance she does let me just say this i am so unbelievably pissed off that you would not only try to you know throw off Coco Goff that way but then march your happy self into the press conference afterwards and cry as if you were the victim in this scenario the Mm -hmm. way white women have weaponized their tears for literal centuries and you wanted to trot your happy ass out here and do the same over this 19 year old black woman because mind you we did not talk about the fact that Laura Sigmund is pushing 40 okay so you are a oh wow I didn't even realize that Mm. yes a grown ass woman who has antagonized this 19 year old black player for the better part of three hours and then showed up to the press conference to cry about it ma'am you are vile for that okay and I hope you go someplace and pray about it think about it meditate on it and 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 really just get yourself together because that was vile I hate that for you I hate that that Coco now had to watch that I'm sure and understand that you were out there crying about what crying because nobody gave a good goddamn about you when you were out here trying to play a game that you couldn't win I don't like that, okay? And I don't have any respect for it. And I hope that you have gone, hopped yourself right on back to wherever it was you came from and mm-hmm. and and spoke to Jesus or whichever God you believe in so that you do not come back out here and do that same nonsense again, okay? So if, if, if she's not listening, then I hope one of her homegirls is and sends her this message because I'm just frankly, so tired and so exhausted by white women who do this. You made a stupid decision. You are suffering the stupid consequences and nobody wants to hear your tears. There's not much more I can add to that. (laughs) I will say it's a responsibility for white women to understand this, that it's a problem, you know, like you might feel genuine emotion she may have felt genuine emotion about losing this match you know she may have inaccurately felt like there was some unfairness but like it is on white women to understand how we have impacted others in society over time and used certain even if it's not overt or conscious like even if it's subconscious have used certain tools available to us to harm others, you know? So it's on us. It's on us to learn it and not to make 
the same mistakes and to perpetuate the same wrongs over and over again. So she may not have realized it. That's giving her the benefit of the doubt. But I really hope she realizes it now and she doesn't do this again and others don't do this again. But by the way, I think something you didn't state is um, I believe there. Tom told me this. So I, this is not like a fact check source. But Tom mentioned that she may have also said something potentially not nice on the way off the court. Oh, I saw um, that. I saw Because there was a woman whose reaction was just like so shocked by something she said that like none of the mics picked up. So we don't right, know. We don't know. But the look on the woman's face who heard it was like, <gasps> like, I can't believe right. she just said that. Right. And so perhaps like. I shouldn't even be giving her any kind of benefit of the doubt. (laughs) So, yeah, Mm. time to learn, Laura. Time to learn all of us, white ladies everywhere. And Coco, we we are cheering for you, Coco. It is always thrilling to have an American in the U.S. Open advance to the next round, but even more so. Get it, girl. There you have it. All right, folks, that is it for this week. As always, we hope you are loving the show. And if you are, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And be sure to follow us on social. I'm Danny underscore D underscore MC on TikTok. And KJ is I am underscore KJ Miller. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.